All right, good morning. Please go ahead and turn in your Bible to the book of Ezekiel. So my name is Obi. I'm the pastor of the young adults. There we go. Just wondering if they're ready. Uh, and men here at First Baptist O'Fallon. Um, pastor Doug is on vacation, enjoying some time away. So uh, last week I told you all that uh, Pastor Doug, he's a good pastor, and you all clap for him. I didn't even have to tell you why. He is a good pastor. I'm going to give you a little staff perspective. He's a good pastor because he is so gospel-focused. So last week, we talked about um, the exile period, and I'm going to talk more about that today. We, we're going through Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and I mentioned Daniel. They're all contemporaries, and they're all uh, going through kind of the same thing, maybe different parts of the exile event. Uh, but we kind of compared that to COVID. I don't know if it's a direct comparison, but difficult times, going through difficult things. But even during that, just from a staff perspective, we'd be talking about logistics, things like that, and Pastor Doug would say, hey, what do we have to do to reach people? Right? What do we have to do to reach people? And that's largely what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, it's wonderful to hear that six students gave their life to Christ. That's an amazing thing. And so the question is, how can we have more of that? Right? How can we have more of that? So I want to read to begin with, uh, I know I said Ezekiel. We'll be in Ezekiel chapter 1 and then a little bit of chapter 2 and then a little bit of chapter 4. That's how I like to do things, jump around a bit. Uh, but I'm going to read Jeremiah 29, 11, what I read last week. So Jeremiah 29, 11 should be on the screen for you. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, this is the Lord's declaration, plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. So hearing that type of statement, we hear this, and it's all in the midst of an exile period. In fact, this happened around 605 B.C. is when the first attack happens, and Babylon comes and, and besieges them, and they're given this prophecy from Jeremiah that it's going to last 70 years. And so you hear this, For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration, plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and hope. And what they would have loved to have heard is, okay, what kind of walls are we going to build to defend our kingdom? What kind of army, God, are you going to raise up to, to defend our kingdom? But instead what they heard was God wants them to be obedient. He wants them to repent. He wants them to be faithful. So what's interesting is oftentimes we're so concerned with the worldly things that are going on, and what God is looking for is the culture and the character of his people. God is not just concerned with the, the worldly problems. He's concerned with that too. But, but what's interesting is that neither the exile, the Babylonians, or COVID, or whatever else is going on in society, none of that is hard for God. None of that's difficult. In fact, he's declaring in Scripture when he's going to end the exile period. Seventy years in advance. It's a lifetime for us. But for him, he says, here's where I'm going to end it. And he knows the other things are going to happen. He gives prophecy about the Medo-Persians and, and the Greeks and the Romans. He, he knows all that's coming too. But what he wants, what he wants us to focus on is the culture and character of his people. He wants us to focus on growing closer to him. He wanted obedience, repentance, and faithfulness. Now, what we're going to see today is we're going to see uh, God sending this man Ezekiel in to really focus on the character and the culture of his people. And, and if we were to start to think about this and, and we start to remove ourselves from, from the, the things going on, right? There's plenty of things going on. But what about the, the character of our culture? Like if I just say that, some things start to pop into your head, right? Let's just take science, for example, right? Uh, it is now far more socially, culturally acceptable to say that evolution, that, um, that all things were spontaneously created and evolved over a long period of time as opposed to a creator, God, who spoke and things were. 
right? If we, if we just took that one, but, but it's also more culturally acceptable to do things that are against Scripture in, in areas like sexuality, right? We could think list after list after list after list of things that, that culturally, as, as we would like to say culture is progressing, it's actually regression. It's actually going away from the things of God. But here's the difficult part is what do we do about it? Now, I'll tell you what we do most often, if I'm just going to be blunt, honest, honestly blunt, oftentimes we complain about it or act disgusted about it. Right? We would love to see the world change and look different, and, and the main advice we have is, can you believe they do that, or can you believe they accept that? And, and we get all sorts of angry and upset and mad and things like that. But what would it take to change it? What would it take, because the kingdom here is, is difficult, right? The kingdom is going through a hard time, 70 years of hard time, and then more after that. That's difficult, but that's not what God's focused on. God's focused on 16 teenagers giving their life to Christ. God's focused on the people in your life giving their lives to Christ. So the question is, how do we do that? What, what's God's plan? So I'm going to begin in Ezekiel chapter 1, just to get us some context here. So Ezekiel chapter 1, and look at verse 1 with me. It should be on the screen if you don't have your Bible on you. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, while I was among the exiles by the Kabar Canal, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of King, Jehoiachin, ex, King Jehoiachin's exile. The word of the Lord came directly to the priest Ezekiel, son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kabar Canal. The Lord's hand was on him there. And so I apologize to anyone who's a huge book of Ezekiel fan. I'm not going to read the rest of chapter one. You can go home and read that yourself. It is spectacular, like some of the most interesting, if I'm honest, trippy uh, type reading that there is, like the heavens are open. When it says the heavens are open, like it, he sees some crazy stuff that's hard to even understand. We're not going to cover that today, but what I want to focus on is two things in this. First, in verse one there where it says they're near the Kabar Canal. So what's interesting is that's a, a known canal. Um, so archaeology has dug up different sites uh, along this river that it's near. And, and there's Israelite campsites there. This is in the Babylonian province. So you'll have Jewish campsites or, um, for lack of a better word, a concentration camp type thing along this Kabar Canal. So it's one of those things where archaeology has confirmed the things that Scripture has said. This is a real thing that happened. Notice I didn't say this campsite is in Israel. That's because they're in exile, right? So I talked last, uh, last week about Jeremiah, and Jeremiah, this invasion that happens that takes guys like Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this thing that abducts them, they're young people. Their young people are abducted from this land around 605 B.C. So this is happening, if you look in verse 2 in Ezekiel chapter 1, it says, on the fifth day of the month. It was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's exile. Now, if you paid attention last week, uh, maybe you watched online, you, you may recognize that name a little bit. You're like, wait, last week didn't he say King Jehoiakin? Yes, I did. This is a different guy. Different spelling. It's not the same guy. So what had happened is around 605 when you have the, everybody abducted, about seven years later in 598 BC, King Jehoiakim dies and King Jehoiachin takes over. Now what's interesting is the very next year is the second of what will be three times where Babylon comes and attacks this kingdom. So in 597 B.C., 
they come in and they take all these different people again and look who's one of them, the king. And then this says this is the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's exile. So he's been in there for five years, so around 593 B.C. So hear this. I'll do this math real quick. I apologize for anyone who's like, oh, history and math, and why are you doing this to us so early in the morning? So 605 B.C. is when the first one happened. Around 12 years later is right now when this happens. Now, you ever been frustrated about something that happened and it was less than 12 years yeah, maybe like this morning, maybe you're getting your kids ready, and you're like, oh, what are you ta- what's taking you so long? And it was like five minutes. They have been in exile for 12 years. The king, five, but the people, 12. And we know from the book of Daniel that he's going to be there all the way till the next kingdom, which is going to happen 70 years later. So they're 12 years into captivity, and I'm just going to read Jeremiah 29, 11 again to you. They can put it up on the screen. I make them jump around. I like to make sure the AV guys are paying attention. So Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. I know the plans I have for you, he says back in in, uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, that's around 605 B.C., and he says, I've got these plans for you. Twelve years later, we're still waiting for these plans, God. We're still waiting for all this to come to be. We're still waiting for, what are you going to do for us? Like, at one time we wanted walls and, and an army, but now... Man, we'd like someone to come rescue us. We'd like you to raise an army to come pull us out of Babylon. Our very king is sitting here in the land of the Chaldeans in Babylon in a camp in exile. Our king. Man, talk about a difficult situation. And it's in this situation that God's going to focus not on the circumstances, but on the character of the people. So... I'm going to ask you three what-if questions today, and we're going to answer them. Three what-if questions. So let's look, go to the very end of Ezekiel chapter 1, just the last verse, verse 28. So after he witnesses this spectacular thing, really go home and read it. It's very interesting. It says in chapter 1, verse 28, The appearance of the brilliant light all around was like that of a rainbow and a cloud on a rainy day. This was the appearance of the likeness of the Lord's glory. When I saw it, I fell face down and heard a voice speaking. So after this, this brilliant, spectacular thing, the glory of the Lord's there, and this prophet Ezekiel, who in chapter 2, as we get ready to hear what is essentially his commissioning to go into the people, the presence of God is so powerful right there that he falls down. And we're going to see in a second that he has to pick him up. But all this is happening while Israel's in captivity. So look at chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1 says this. He said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak with you. As he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet, and I listened to the one who was speaking to me. He said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to the rebellious pagans who have rebelled against me. The Israelites and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this day. So maybe you caught some of the words in there. This isn't going to be an easy mission, right? This isn't going to be people It's like, oh, he's going to go talking to the nice Christian neighbors and they're just looking for a church and he's going to invite them to come to church. That's not who he's going to, right? Look at some of those words again. Look at uh, verse 3. Rebellious pagans. They've rebelled, rebelled against me. They've transgressed. So here's the first what-if question. What if God sent you on this mission? What if that's you? So often we'd like, if we're going to tell people about Jesus, 
So often Christians, we're like, man, I just, it's just the circumstances weren't right. They weren't really having it. Um, they, they weren't really listening. I'm, I'm going to tell you two different uh, times when I was sharing the gospel with someone. Uh, this first one is where I was a little cowardly. I'm just going to do a confession in front of a whole room of people. How terrifying, right? So I was, uh, I was working, and there's this guy I was working with, and, and personal evangelism has always come kind of easy to me. I have no problems kind of becoming friends with somebody and then getting the opportunity to share my faith. But there's this one guy that he, he continually made kind of comments that let me know he was pretty hostile toward Christianity. And then he was also, he wasn't my boss, but he was definitely above me in authority. And so it was kind of that risk too. And so I'm just going to be blunt. I was kind of a coward in that moment. But God kept laying them on my heart. Just I'd go back to work day after day after day, and God would lay them onto my heart. And finally, there was an opportunity where he and I were in a conference room all, to get, all alone, and there was no, like, if you heard the word of God speaking to you, it's like, okay, I was trying to make all sorts of excuses, but I'm alone in a conference room with this guy. There is absolutely no way I can get out of this one, so I share the gospel with him. I'd love to tell you that he surrendered to Christ. He didn't. Uh, in fact, if I remember correctly, he kind of tried to blow me off, and, and kind of all my thoughts were, were uh, right, that he, he kind of didn't care. But should I have not told him? Of course I should have. Who knows what God's going to use in his life later on to use that seed of the gospel. But here's what I wish. I wish I had been bolder. I wish that I had told him about the God who I know that loves him and died to save him. That's what I wish. See, what if God sends me on this mission? I want to tell you this. God already has sent us on this mission. We may not have this special commissioning where we see some spectacular things in Ezekiel 1. You may, and if you do, I'd like to hear about it. But we may not have that. But what we do have is Scripture telling us over and over again. I'm going to give you three examples from the New Testament. So Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and then 13 through 15. It's on the screen. It says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One who believes with the heart resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth mouth resulting in salvation. So if you uh, are familiar with the Roman road, you know Romans 10, 9, that's one of the, the famous ones, one of the four. Uh, I recommend all Christians, as we're talking about evangelism, I recommend you learn and memorize the Roman road where they are. Uh, no easier way, in my opinion, to share the gospel with someone. So make that your personal mission. If you want to leave here with one homework activity, go learn the four verses of the Roman road, understand them, how to, how to explain them. Uh, our church actually has a podcast, episode five, explains it very thoroughly how to do that. So you can look that up on our website. But so this says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness. One confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. So that's the good stuff, right? That's the stuff It's like, yeah, I want to go tell people that or I want, I want people to receive that. And as we think of the culture and we think, man, why are they all turning away from God? And why, why is our culture sinking so fast in their beliefs? And why, if, if we just made a list of things, like not just the origin of life, but the sanctity of life, not just uh, normal actions, but but sexuality and, and, and so on and so on and so on. We think of how far our culture is going in different directions. And sometimes we as Christians would just like to clean up behavior. But behavior is not what God is after alone. God is after hearts and hearts to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what he's focused on. So when I hear this, that he says, Jesus, confess with your mouth, Jesus the Lord, believe in your heart that God raised from, from the dead, you will be saved. We want people to believe that. But the question is how? 
So he goes on. Look at verse uh, 13. He says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I just want to pause there for a second. That person that you have in your little circle of influence, we all have a, a, a finite circle of influence. We, we don't have the universal reach. We all have a sphere of influence. There are people in our life that may be affected by no other Christian than us. And there's some people that sometimes are in our sphere of influence that we think, oh, no way. No way they'd ever accept it. This says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is accessible to all. Whoever it is that is in your, your office at work, your college dorm, uh, wherever, that's for them. But verse 13, look at, look at this again. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Look at verse 14. How then can they call on him who they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? Now, before we lay all this at Pastor Doug's feet and say, okay, preacher, go tell him. It's talking about the practice of preaching, the utterance. It's not talking about the office of a pastor. This is for all Christians. We want all Christians to come to know Jesus Christ, but how can they believe if they haven't heard? And how can they hear about him unless people utter? And it says, verse 15, And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Church, do you believe that today? Do you believe that when you're taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone, it is the most precious gift you could ever give to another human? You are offering them a message of eternal life. You're going into people who, as Ezekiel chapter 2 says, are essentially rebellious, rebellious pagans. They don't believe. They don't care about what you care about. And you're taking the gift of life, not to just clean up an activity, make someone behave a little better, but to pass them from death to life. Not just physical death to, to revive physical life, but from spiritual death to spiritual life. This is the gospel that we preach, but that's not the only passage. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And I'm not going to pause on that. We'll go to Matthew 9, verse 37, 38. It says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now, I'm not focusing so much on those. I just wanted to give you a few examples. I'm telling you, you've already been sent. When this says in Ezekiel chapter 2, if you look at verse 3, he said, He said to me, Son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to the rebellious pagans who have rebelled against me. The Israelites and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this day. And we think, oh, I, I just, what if I had that mission? I don't really want that mission. I'm telling you, you already have it. I'm saying in Scripture, I just pulled up three different passages. We could pull up a whole lot more. You already have that mission. And it's not just a mission of comfort and convenience where I say, well, I'm going to tell it to the people who will be comfortable with me and are okay with it. No, it's to everybody, including the rebellious pagans, including the person that you think would never receive it, never hear it. They couldn't care less. In fact, they're hostile, and it's Obi sitting in a conference room with the guy who he knows is hostile, that I should still have boldness to tell him. So the question is, what if God sent you on this mission? Go. And he has sent you on this mission. So go. But that's not all he says. Look at verse 4. Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 4. He says, the descendants are obstinate and hard-hearted. So you've got 
two nice descriptions of people there, right? Hard-headed, hard-hearted. So I think and believe things differently than you. I'm stubborn. I won't, I won't surrender my mind to you. But then hard-hearted might mean, oh, I understand it, but I, I just don't care, right? I, I don't have the passions for God that you have. So he says, that's who he's descending. The descendants are obstinate and hard-hearted. Look at the rest of verse 4. I am sending you to them, and you must say to them, this is what the Lord God says. Whether they listen or refuse to listen, for they are a rebellious house, and they will know that a prophet has been among them. All sorts of descriptions there of, of different people. So the second rhetorical question is this. What if God sends me and they don't listen? What if God sends me and they don't listen? You see, we would like to um, have every opportunity uh, just work out perfect. If I go share the gospel, man, I, I get out of my comfort zone and, and I go talk to someone about Jesus Christ and then, man, I did my part and so shouldn't they all be saved? I mean, I took a humongous step. I shared my faith with someone. Shouldn't they all be saved? And the fact is they're not. Uh, I tell my, my young adults this story a lot. Um, there's an instance where um, I was, me and this other guy, were, I was working and we're in this room where we're supposed to be there for several hours and we're just sitting there. And we're not sitting there because we're slacking off. Like our job was to sit there and, and chaperone. So we're sitting there for several hours with nothing to do. And so I'm going to talk to him about spiritual things. And so this guy, he gets to the point where um, he's basically in tears and he's brokenhearted, ready to receive the gospel, but he refused. And I was like, man, what's holding you back? And he confessed to me that he had a secret sin in his life that he, he did not want to give up. And I said, you know, Jesus says, come as you are. He's not saying, you know, you do need to repent, but he's not saying that you have to, um, that, that you're just going to be miraculously changed. Now, sometimes that happens. Sometimes people give it up, but a lot of times people carry a struggle with them and, and God wants to work on them through a whole process of life. And then he essentially said to me, I don't want him to work on me. Like, right? So he's, he's, he knew, he, he knew the gospel truth. He knew that he was a sinner before a holy God. And to be frank, he wanted to stay that way. He wanted his sin more than God. I'm telling you, there's nothing I can do about that. Right? If, if you go share your faith with someone and it doesn't work out, that's not about you. It feels like they're rejecting you, but they're rejecting God. It essentially has nothing to do with you. It's all about God and their relationship with God. And, and that, that decision is always going to be between the heart of an individual and God. And maybe there's someone sitting here today and that's you. And you don't want God to touch your sin. You want him to stay away from you. And I'm saying there is a God who loved you and died to save you because sin is your enemy. And he wants to save you from it. I had another instance where um, there was this lady that I was talking to about the faith. And uh, it, again, it was kind of the same thing that she was brokenhearted about her sin and she was crying. And, and so I was like, I had explained the Roman road to her. I was like, hey, you wanna, want me to kind of lead you in prayer and you can accept Jesus? And she said no. And I was like, I, I just, it was hard to understand. She's crying. I was like, clearly you're touched by this. Like, what's stopping you? And then she confessed to me that her family was in a business that was uh, just really, they had their hands in a business that was filled with sin, for lack of a better word. The whole, the whole enterprise was a sinful enterprise, and she felt by following Christ, she was essentially condemning her family. Of course, I tried to talk to her about her own individual salvation and stuff, and, and then even the importance of eternity over the uh, business of her family, and she just chose no. And we could take that to heart, because the question I asked you again is this, what if God sends me and they don't listen? Did you hear what he said? Look at verse 4 again. The descendants are obstinate and hard-hearted. I'm sending you to them. Is that the, is that the people you want to go share the faith with? The descendants are obstinate and hard-hearted. They're hard-headed, hard-hearted. 
They, they don't listen to people. When, when they do listen, they don't care about what you have to say. That's who I'm sending you to. Think about the people in your life. I, I hope that today, one of the things you're doing is you're thinking about the people that God has placed you near. There are people that God has placed you near that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I think about this. We have uh, around 1,200 to 1,600 every, every weekend come to church. What if, what if every single Christian who comes to this church over the next year led one person to Jesus Christ? And all of a sudden we double in size just because we all did one. What if, what if every Christian in every church in this region led one person in the, the rest of the year? This is not a Herculean task, right? This is saying share your faith with one person for the rest of the year. And all of a sudden the Christian population in the region of the Metro East all of a sudden doubles because every single Christian led one person to Jesus Christ. You see, sometimes we don't want to go out because we know that people are obstinate. We know that they're hard-hearted. He says in verse 5, whether they listen or refuse to listen, God says, go. What if God sends me out to them and they don't listen? He says, go anyway. Because our obedience has nothing to do with their response. I am called to be obedient to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with all people, whether or not they listen, whether or not they're hard-headed, hard-hearted. And you don't know what God is going to do with that later. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it starts around verse 5, uh, where the Apostle Paul is talking about some of the division they've had in the church. And he, he mentions himself, Paul, and then another guy named Apollos. And some people are like, hey, that's my favorite preacher. I'm with him. Hey, that's my favorite preacher. And of course, in chapter 1, he says, Christ isn't divided. So what he says is, I plant, Apollos waters, but God gives the increase. It's never about a person, even if it's a, a really good preacher. It's not about them. It is about God. If you go, and let's say you're just gifted evangelistically, God gave you that gift. Even if you go and you win more people than Billy Graham, it's still about God. But also if they reject you, it was still about God. So he says in this, I'm sending you to people who are rebellious. They're pagans. They've transgressed. I'm sending you to people who are obstinate, hard-hearted. I'm sending you whether they listen or not. Church, that's us. That's what we need to do. I was, uh, I was sitting in Pastor Doug's office when uh, we were first starting to talk about young adults and things when he first brought me on, and he, he's kind of casting vision for me what he'd like our young adults to be. And, uh, you know, we said, hey, it'd be pretty neat if you hit 100 people. And, and what's really cool is we've been near 100 people lately um, every Thursday and then he's like, well, what if you hit a thousand people? And I just thought, wow, I mean, what would it take to do that? What if we had a thousand young adults? How incredible that, would that be? And then he said to me, you know, if you had a thousand young adults, do you know how, many, how much of a, a surface we've just scratched of the lost people that are in this area? I'm telling you, church, there is not, we're, we're not shy on mission. We don't have an absence of mission. It's just sometimes we're too docile and domesticated. We're not fervent and fierce for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, there is a harvest among us. There is a harvest. There, there are people in your life that need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ because right now they are dead in their sins. They are hard-hearted. They're rebellious. They're obstinate. They're all those things true, and that makes the mission a little more difficult. But that's who he sends us to. 
He sends us to people who don't know him so that we can make his name known, so that he can transform those obstinate heads and those, those hard hearts. That's his job. Our job is to be obedient and share the gospel. But he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 6. It says, But you, son of man, did not be afraid of them, and did not be afraid of their words. Now, I'll just pause there. He's not saying there's no danger. He's not saying there's no difficulty. He just told them not to be afraid. Look at the rest of this. Even though briars and thorns are beside you. Now, briars and thorns are annoying. They're, they're not necessarily a deadly thing. Briars and thorns, right? If you ever get one of those on you, it's like, ah. Or maybe it pricks your finger or something. It's annoying. You're going to meet some people that are, are kind of annoying. As you go among obstinate and hard-headed people, you're going to have some annoyances. He doesn't say, I'm, I'm sparing you of those things. He's saying, you're going in among those. But that's not all he says. He says, look at the middle of verse 6. Even though briars and thorns are beside you, and you live among scorpions. That's a little more serious. That's a little more dangerous. He's not saying those things aren't there. He's saying, I'm sending you among those things. Look at the rest of this. Don't be afraid of their words or discouraged by the look on their faces, for they are a rebellious house. Speak my words to them, whether they listen or refuse to listen, for they are rebellious. Hear that. He, said, he doesn't say they're not stubborn, not hard-hearted, not rebellious. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't say they're not annoying. In fact, he calls them briars and thorns. He doesn't say that they're not dangerous. In fact, he calls them scorpions. He just says, don't be afraid. Like, why, God? Like, what are you going to do to make me not be afraid? Don't be afraid. You're going among dangerous things, annoying things. Don't be afraid. Okay, but I may get down sometimes. Okay, well, don't be discouraged. Like, God, give me like the one, two, three steps about how to not be afraid or not be discouraged. He just says, go and speak to them. Right? So often we make this stuff about ourselves when it is about our mission. So often we make it about, well, what if they reject me? Or what if they intimidate me? Or, or what if they make it about me? Or even what if it's dangerous for me? And I'm just telling you, sometimes we as Christians would say, well, I'd share my faith, but this circumstance prohibits me. And I'm saying they are in captivity. Do you remember that part of this story? They're in captivity. Not just a few of them. They're king. They've been ransacked twice. They're going to be ransacked another time. And the God of all creation who could stop this immediately because he's told them when. He said 70 years and I'll stop this. That God doesn't say, I'm going to fix all these things for you. He says, no, go work on their hearts by telling them about me. Go call them to repentance. Go speak to them about the God of creation who, is, who cares more about their character and their relationship with him than he does their circumstances. That's what he says. So imagine, just imagine if it weren't just Ezekiel. Imagine if there were an army of people equipped with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Imagine that, because I just said, what if we shared our faith with one person and one person were led to Christ and we doubled in size? I'm telling you right now, we are a countercultural movement. The culture does not care about the things of Jesus Christ. And if you are a Christian here today, then you are part of the movement that is against the culture. And the only thing that can change the whole culture is not advice. It's not disgust. It's not those things. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that he has commanded all of us to go and take into the world. But how can they believe if they don't hear? And how can they hear unless there's some people preaching it every day to the people they meet? Unless you're thinking of the person that God has laid in your heart and mind right now, unless you're caring enough to step out in boldness and not be like me in a, in a conference room being all 
timid. Be bold for Jesus Christ because it's important. So I want to read you a few things. So this is hard. He says, I'm sending you to a difficult uh, a place, obstinate people. I want you to go anyway. What if God sends me they don't listen? What if I go and the mission is difficult? He says, go, go anyway, obey. So I'm going to read you Ezekiel 4. Go ahead and turn there, please. Ezekiel chapter 4. Now, this, these five verses are the real reason I wanted to preach from Ezekiel, but they're so weird. I, couldn't, like, I didn't know how to make a sermon out of them, so I'm just going to use them as an extra point in the sermon. So Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 1. All right, so we had just had the heavens open up. Just had the heavens open up, right? And then the commissioning of this, this famous prophet, like everybody's heard of Ezekiel. We, we've just heard that. And so now what are we going to see? Are we going to see, like, man, go in there and lead a revival and stuff? Look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now you, son of man, take a brick, set it in front of you, and draw the city of Jerusalem on it. I wonder if you followed that. Son of man, here's the first, one of the first missions I have for you. You take a brick, and you draw a picture of the city of Jerusalem on it. Okay? Start there. Then lay siege against it. I do not know how that's possible. But he has a brick, he drew the picture, and he laid siege against it. Construct a siege wall, build a ramp, pitch military camps, and place battering rams against it on all sides. Take an iron plate and set it up as an iron wall between yourself and the city. Face it so that it is under siege and besiege it. This will be a sign for the house of Israel. Now, one of the reasons I like this is because sometimes when we think about sharing our faith, we think about awkwardness and how awkward we can sometimes be. What God told this famous prophet to do after he called him, after he showed him all these spectacular things, is he said, I want you to take a brick and basically make a diorama out of it. A diorama that's going to demonstrate the siege of Israel coming against this thing. And I don't know, maybe it spoke to them there, but... I guess this is an evangelism tip. You just take a brick and you go talk to people. Sometimes God asks us to do some uncomfortable things, some odd things, but it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 4. Then lie down on your left side and place the iniquity of the house of Israel on it. I don't know how you do that. You will bear their iniquity for the number of days you lie on your side. For I have assigned you the years of their iniquity according to the number of days you will lie down 300 90 days. You ever heard that part of the Bible? God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to first, I'm going to send you on this mission. I want you to go among the people. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a brick diorama. And then I want you to lay on your side, your left side. He's going to tell him lay on his right side in a little bit. I want you to lay on your left side for 390 days. Now there's all sorts of debate about, did he just stay there the whole time? How did he eat? Is that part of the miracle? Or was he just there during the day? I don't know. I tell you this, the older I get, the more I have to turn over because every morning I wake up and my shoulders hurt. He had to lay on his left side for 390 days. Sometimes God asks us to do some difficult things, sometimes some uncomfortable things. Do them anyway. You've been given the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was not about defeating the Babylonians. God could do that. God, whatever circumstances, God can handle that. He's not worried about that. It's about capturing hearts with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He sent Ezekiel to people who are hard-headed, hard-hearted, like scorpions. All the things about them, those are true. And he said, go anyways. And the question is why. I'm going to read you one last passage from Ezekiel. It'll be up on the screen. Ezekiel 18. I'm going to start in verse 23. It says, do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? This is the declaration of the Lord. Instead, don't I take pleasure when he turns from his ways and lives? And I'm going to skip on down to verse 30. 
Therefore, house of Israel, I will judge each one of you according to his ways. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your rebellious acts so they will not become a sinful stumbling block to you. Throw off all the transgressions you have committed and get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. Why should you die, house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in anyone's death. This is the declaration of the Lord God. So repent and live. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's the message to you. God does not want you to be separated from him for all eternity in a real place called hell. But you will be if you don't trust Jesus Christ. The picture of scripture is this. The picture it paints of you is that everyone is a sinner and the wages of sin or the earnings of sin is death. And that's why Jesus Christ came to die in your place. But to receive that gift, you have to place your faith and trust in him and make him Lord of your life. And if you haven't done that, I hope you'll do that today. But then I want to tell Christians this. I want to talk to you about this message. God takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. God is calling all people to repent, including the hard-headed people that you know, the hard-hearted people you know, the rebellious people that you know, the people that are close to you that you're like, oh, they would never receive. They might. And this is about life and death, eternal life and eternal death. And we have been given a commission like Ezekiel. And the reason I read you Ezekiel chapter 4 is you know that God's not like only do the, the comfortable things. Sometimes God asks us to do some weird and uncomfortable things and do them anyway. Sometimes there's a person that you may have to talk to that it's going to be all sorts of awkward. Do it anyway because it's about life and death. Sometimes you may have to risk something for God. You may have to go among briars and thorns and scorpions to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone who knows it. Do it anyway because the people you know are worth it. Here's what I hope. I hope that everyone here today is thinking of at least one person. What if you led one person to Jesus Christ? And if you say, well, I don't really know enough to share someone. If you are a Christian, 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. So I'll, ask it, I'll slow that down. What is the reason you have hope? Jesus. Do you know what Jesus has done for you? Then tell that to someone. Share that. Share that message about why you can have hope beyond this life, and it's because of Jesus Christ. You know that. So in a moment, we're going to uh, have a time of worship and prayer, and so I invite you, uh, you can stay in your seats and pray. I want you to pray for a person that's in your life. I want you to take this time, pray for them, but, and then as you finish, you can stand and sing. Uh, we'll have a deacon of the week here. If anyone has questions or wants to talk or pray with someone, I'll also be at the connection point uh, out there if anyone has a question. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to. There is a God of all creation who is calling you to repent and live. Let's pray. Father God, you are a good God. And I thank you for the privilege that it is to speak your word. And God, it is not just my privilege. It is the privilege of all who have come to know you. And God, I pray that we take that privilege. I pray that we take this mighty army that is not domesticated and docile, but can be fierce and faithful and passionate for you. God, I pray we take this mighty army and we go out into the world, a world that is against you, a world that is counter-Christianity. I pray we take this gospel message that can change hearts and lives and instead of griping about how things have gone wrong or being disgusted with other sin as if our sin were better, instead of that, God, we tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ that can save souls and transform lives and restore relationship with you. 
place someone on our hearts today, God. And let us not stop at one. Let us begin with one. Praise Jesus' name. Amen.